Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the bullpen. Fascinating, in the bullpen today, we have Dr. James Rogers, Republican congressional candidate for the 30th district in the state of Texas. He has a long and involved career in education as well as education leadership. We're glad to have the good doctor on the program, Dr. Rogers, welcome to Indisputable. Pleasure to be here, absolutely. All right, today we're gonna to chop it up about school choice. <clears throat> Obviously, this is something near and dear to your heart because of your background in education. I'm not going to presume what you know or believe about school choice and how it impacts the larger community. So if you would, give us your sentiment and I will then opine. Absolutely, and I'm gonna try and return the favor, but not presupposing about you or engaging in anything that is a pure civil discourse. Cuz I think we can find some common ground here. The current state of public education does not meet the modern and diverse needs of this country. That's that's just the plain truth. We have a Frankenstein system that is patched together from different eras that costs so much money to maintain that it takes away and drains money away from where it should be going, which is students and teachers. And most importantly to me is the unequal outcomes that we just accept as part of the system. We know that early education favors females over males, specifically relating to compliance and issues like that. We know the neighborhood school model favors wealthy students to those from low income and middle income families. And we know that the college system with its diversity quotas actually hurts the minority community, specifically the African American community while giving an advantage to the Asian community. And when you add these things up, if you're in two of those demographics even, you're in really bad shape. But if you're you know, poor and a minority and a male, like you have had the, the deck stacked against you in a way. And I think that there's no way to improve schools without competition. I don't think that they have any incentive. And I've worked all over uh, from the South Bronx to Florida to Texas uh, and everywhere in between a little internationally. And it's the same thing over and over. So, so let's, let's chop it up. Um, so uh, my second doctorate is actually in um, higher education reform, specifically how it relates to Af- African American uh, males and non-traditional students in higher ed. And one of the dynamics that I researched was the reality of recruitment um, as well as maintaining that student inside of the institution. So we'll get into that in a moment. You said something that I thought was interesting, inequity. You and I actually agree there's significant inequity in education. Let me first start with K through 12 education because there's a difference between K through 12 and then higher ed. So in K through 12 education, I would assume based on your proclamation that you believe charter schools, publicly funded charter schools are a good remedy for education inequity in a local community. Am I wrong to make that assumption? I wouldn't make that because it's a little broad, especially because charter schools vary depending on the state and they vary on how much freedom they have. The the example I'd use is KIPP used to be very constructivist behavior. So they're doing something that was different than the public schools. But as we've gone down the path of standardized assessment, and I think you know this with the high stakes testing, uh, you get standardized instruction. And so if everybody is having to adhere to these bubble dot tests, 
And if everybody's funding models are the same, which is butts in seats till 1030, bubble dot tests and push every yeah. kid to college, they're all gonna end up emulating the same thing. So you do have some uh, places that do uh, a little more experimental. New York City is actually uh, where I used to work, allows for a lot more freedom uh, than some of the red states actually do. And, and that's, you know, that's not, that's just an honest assessment of it. Yeah, and let me say this brother, I'm not anti-choice, all right? Yeah. So I don't like standardized testing. I think they are culturally biased. I do not think you should teach a student to a test. I think you should teach them to curriculum and to life. Um, I don't think our approach has benefited children. Uh, and you're right, we could use um, a different, let's say a different dynamic as it relates to education. But let's be very clear about some of the solutions presented by those on the conservative right. One of the solutions obviously has been publicly funded charter programs. I am very familiar with KIPP Academy. I have spoken at KIPP Academy graduations for years. I know KIPP Academy style a lot. Now the reason why KIPP is able to do some things that public education cannot is because KIPP Academy, they get to choose what students they keep. They get to choose what students they decide to teach. And when you have a system that says, we're going to regulate who can actually become a student here and who does not, who will not be allowed to be a student, you're going to have a different educational outcome than let's say your traditional K through 12 public educational system. Because they do not have that same choice. For example, KIPP, KIPP Academy can mandate parent participation. A regular public school is not able to mandate parent participation. If your parent does not participate, the student still has to be educated, dear brother. So that's one of the differences. Also, many of the outcomes that we're looking at that are academically based are not really connected to the educator, but connected to socioeconomic dynamics in that local community. For example, if you have a local community of young people who only eat, let's say 80% of that student population, they only eat a good meal one time a day, and that's at school. You're going to have some innate behavioral issues connected to diet or connected to hunger. And the school system, if they do not create a wraparound dynamic for the socioeconomic atmosphere, you will see it play out in the academic arena. Once again, the school gets all of the blame for that when the reality is it is a socioeconomic dynamic in that local community. Have I said anything you disagree with yet? Well, I guess my question would be, do you feel the schools can solve that? Because so far they haven't. And the other piece is, you're right, except I would extrapolate it further. Okay. Uh, we, have full, we have school choice in this country, but it's only for the wealthy. And so we're denying this whole group of, of the majority and those in most need access to that education. So uh, KIPP should not be allowed to pick and choose any more than what I, what I would pertain to is when you have different variations, whether it's child savings accounts, vouchers, okay. whatever. I would, I would want states to experiment with what's best and definitely cities for their populations. But you should have common standards of graduation. You should have common standards of admittance because that's where you get the bias. Right now it's all economics, right? If yep. I have money, if I have access, then I get in. If I don't, well, I'm sorry, you're just out of luck. And so I would wanna know what the metrics are that we're going to actually, you know, bridge that gap of socioeconomics because you're you're spot on and it's even worse than that. Like when I was in the, in the South Bronx and I have kids telling me, why should I finish school? This guy's offering me cash money to stand out and sling on the corner. And I got four kids that, you know, my baby sister, my baby brother, all these people I got to take care of. My mom's already working all this stuff. And it's 
it's a heartbreaking reality that they don't really prepare you for in college. And there are all these different things that are impacting these students' lives. And that's why I'm saying we need more alternative education options and more options that, that go outside the mold, not like the traditionalist education approach. We're doing that, why? We started that to avoid the Red Scare. We, we value math and science because of Sputnik. We do, you know, all these, the factory model, we got that in the late 1800s and we yeah. just, we're still ringing bells. Kids are so different and more diverse today. And this big monolith of one size fits all, and, and that's, this is my big pushback, can't react to those needs that you're talking about. You know, I tell my college students um, that the reason they sit in chairs that are in lines, in rows, is because the old concept of teaching was a very factory led dynamic. And they wanted to create individuals who all thought alike. And so I try to disrupt that kind of linear uh, thinking because I want disruption. I want you to become. Um, a conscientious disruptor as it relates to academics and uh, professional life and policy and politics. So I get your point on that. And, and we actually agree on taking out the bias approach to charter education. I think that's actually one of the greatest failures of charter education. And it's used to highlight their success is that they're able to legally discriminate. And when they can legally discriminate, they then give you numbers that seem based on contrast very different from the numbers of the K through 12 public school system. The problem with that design is that they get to pick and choose who comes to that charter system, which as you have said, typically the ones who have the money, the ones who have the support, the ones who are already doing well get to take advantage of that system. But here's the biggest issue, even bigger than that, Dr. Rogers, and I would love for you to answer it. The numbers, the math doesn't add up. The math does not add up. For example, let's say we have a school district, 10,000 students in the school district. You have publicly funded charter programs inside of that school district. That, that's called a parallel educational system. That parallel educational system takes money away from the existing budget of the already underfunded K through 12 public education, right? Here's the reality, brother, 100% of the students that need it can't take advantage of that system. So at best, you get 20% in the districts that do it at the best, which DC is one of them, New York is another. You're at 15 to 20% of capacity, meaning they don't have the budget, the infrastructure, the capacity, the ability to educate the vast majority of the students that are inside of the school system. So I present to you this question, if it's not a solution for all students, is it a solution for our students at all? That's my question to you. Okay, so in, in that theory, if it, to answer it broadly, if you'll let me expand. No, if it only helps select students, then it is not a solution. And so my pushback is we do spend more than any other country in the world on education. And we spend more per capita or per student, I'm sorry, than any other major nation. Like the students that outspend us per student are, you know, small, you know, Luxembourg and such. So we do have the funding. I would say that it just doesn't go to students and teachers. We spend almost $2 billion a year, as we just touched on, just on the testing, just standardized testing per state. And that's not including test prep and things like that. The other thing I would add is, uh, where the funding goes is really important. And this is one of the things that, that I would argue is in the 
the implicit curriculum, right? So if you look at wealthy schools that I worked in, uh, the money is going into science labs and engineering programs and, and making sure that students have early reading access. When I worked in the inner cities, they they send money to football programs. And I know I'm in Texas. I probably just lost half my votes. <laughs> I like her, but we put money into football stadiums and basketball programs and other things. And there's a message you're sending different populations there with that funding. You are saying this group is supposed to be the engineers and the mathematicians and the scientists. And these are the entertainers. These are the gladiators back in Rome. And, and they are to play our games and entertain us. And whether we think about that overt message, I'm telling you, when you work, and just like you have, and I know this, when you work with those kids one on one, they don't, they pick up on that message. They know right. that the only way out of this poverty is through these means. So I don't think it's a matter of lack of funding. I think it is a matter of, of improved funding, is what I would say. I think we have the money, it's just got to go to the right places. But let's be honest about the hurdles that, and the two biggest ones that I would say, maybe three after more recent events. Uh, one is going to be uh, digital access in the inner city. So if you're offering all these alternative, programs uh, in the inner city, we know that that Wi-Fi and all these things need to have, if you're gonna tell kids to take school online, they've gotta have access to, to online. The rural community, you're gonna need better transportation and that will cost money and that will that's an investment we have to make. And then more broadly, I think school safety has to be 100% streamlined across the board. It's 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 very much a system of have and have nots right now, so. Yeah, and it, st- it still is, and that's one of the challenges. And I'm glad you're, you're, not, you're not gaslighting, brother, you're telling the truth. One of the biggest issues is the fact that you still have this very biased way of selecting students and charter programs. There's absolutely no evidence nationally that charter systems are dramatically better. I'm gonna read some stats to you. And this is from the Center for Education Reform, which is a charter advocacy group, all right? They believe in charter education. The research they found from 15 states and District of Columbia, They studied 70% of the students enrolled in charter schools. They found that 17% of charters posted academic gains that were better than traditional public schools. 17%, keep that number in mind. 37%, however, of those charter schools, the students performed significantly worse. Significantly worse at 37% of those charter schools. 46% had absolutely no change statistically whatsoever. Uh, and that's a published report. There's another dynamic from Education Next, and they published this and it was interesting. Charter school systems actually increase uh, racial inequity and racial segregation more so than public education. Dear brother, we already know public education is significantly uh, segregated in the United States of America because it's done by neighborhood, right? But charter systems, according to the latest report from Education X, it increases that level of segregation even more so than the already very segregated public school system. And then the voucher program, which is another leg on this chair. The voucher program is interesting because, man, voucher programs are as different as a fingerprint when it comes to these communities that use them. But what you will find that's significant across the board with all of the voucher programs is that none of the voucher programs are able to be fully funded. None of them, they cannot be fully funded. Meaning the students that need it, the students that say we got to benefit from this voucher program, you would never be able to one, fully fund that student from top to bottom in that voucher program. The parents will still incur a significant cost and you cannot even touch 
the number of students that would qualify for this voucher program. Typically 5% is what a voucher program in a local community can cover. So once again, it's presented as a solution that can only impact a small minority of students. And even in that small minority, there's a built in cost that's typically unaffordable to those who are already living in poverty. I'll let you have the last word. Yeah, so I think the metrics should be simplified in this matter. Um, because you do make some strong points, but but what I, where I push back is that, that we get these metrics of test scores and, and college enrollment and all these things. The, the real metric is success and poverty, right? If, if a school is telling me that, oh yeah, it's an A school system, but it's it's been a one in five poverty rate for five generations, I'm sorry, it's not a good school. It's not an A school, okay? And the other piece I would say is that beyond the metrics, as far as spending, I would open up just beyond the charter schools and look at, you know, private schools, homeschools, all these other ones, because the real metric is if the wealthy and the elite are able to choose and are able to go to these schools and they do, then that's what our poorest, that's what our most disadvantaged, that's what our most vulnerable should also have access okay. to. I agree, it has to be universal access. All right, and listen, I'm not anti-choice. I agree with you on much of the stuff you've said, not all of it. But once again, we're talking about an individual dynamic versus a policy dynamic. If you're telling me that the solution for an individual family is to give them a voucher to have them go to another institution that is government funded. You're taking away money from an already underfunded system that desperately needs that money in order to survive. I don't see how that becomes your end all solution. To me, that's not even a band-aid to me that actually creates a worse problem for the public educational systems. While maybe helping a family migrate to another school and based on the statistics are likely not to even succeed better in the other institution than the previous one based on the data. Well, I, the, the pushback there again, uh, Netflix didn't defund Blockbuster. We shouldn't <laughs> if the school's not working for that family, let that family get out. But there, again, there are hurdles. You have to get access and information to these families. So they they have a fair shot at choosing and knowing what they're getting. And then the big one is transparency. I think we have to have more transparency, openness, what's in the hidden curriculum, what's in the null curriculum, all these things that have been hidden from gate by gatekeepers for a long time. That's how you make good choices. Yeah, we both agree that standardized testing is a racket. Uh, we both agree that education K through 12 has to be reformed. I'm a reformist in education personally, and I agree uh, that you definitely submitted a good faith debate today, my friend. Thank you so much, Dr. Rogers. Thank you for having me.